Well, I want to welcome you today to the kickoff of our brand new teaching series, Simplify Your Life. You know, I, I think it's so important just to stop one more second. I know that we've already talked about what happened last week at Easter, but I want to celebrate the fact that seven years ago, South Bay Church did not exist as it does today. And last week, through what happened in our services and online, there were over 3,000 people whose lives were impacted through you. And I want to say thank you to you from the bottom of my heart that there are so many of you that serve, that give of your lives, that you let Jesus use you from Bay Kids to Ignite Student Ministry to many of you who serve in First Impressions to the production crew. You are a link in the chain in countless numbers of lives that are being changed for all of eternity. And from the bottom of my heart, I love you and I'm so grateful to be a part of what God is doing through your life. So I just want to celebrate one more time before I jump into the message series. You know, in terms of simplifying our lives, the busyness, the hectic pace that we live our lives at, I think it's important to recognize, you know, something happens in our culture, Silicon Valley, Bay Area, that I think does not happen in the rest of the country as far as I'm aware of. Whenever I walk up to somebody and I ask the question, how you doing, how's everything going, you know, a lot of us, we really don't care what people want or how people are doing, we ask the question, right? We're just like, just say it and get on with the conversation. Say you're good. It doesn't matter how bad you're doing, just say everything's fine so we can get on with the conversation. So a lot of times when I ask that question, people respond, instead of saying good or staying, saying fine, they say, oh, I'm so busy. I'm so overwhelmed. I'm so stressed out. I got soccer games for the kids. I have this project at work. I have so much, so much, so much stuff going on. I'm so stressed. And so many of us in our culture live our lives at a breakneck speed, that our lives are moving so fast that we lack peace. We lack joy. We lack the richness in relationships. We are sometimes so busy that we can't slow down to enjoy the moment that we're in right in the moment that is in front of us. And this series is about slowing the pace of our lives to experience greater levels of peace, greater levels of joy. Now, I have some bad news for you. I, I wanted to pull off an Oprah and give everybody a free trip to Maui so you could go lay on the beach and hang out and relax for two weeks. We couldn't make that happen. In fact, the bad news is you got to go back to work on Monday morning. And you have to re-engage with all the complexities of life with multiple children, if that's your situation, or a marriage, or a job, family, relationships. And your life probably is not going to get any more simple than it is right now. In fact, the reality is, when you are a baby, that's the most simple your life is ever going to be. Because you have milk on tap, you, everybody's changing your diaper, it's just happening for you. But as life goes on, it gets more complicated. It gets, it gets more stressful as you add relationships and responsibilities to your life. That's just the way it happens. But oftentimes, for you and I, we bear up under unnecessary stress, unnecessary complications. And this series is not about abandoning reality. It's not about sitting on the beach for weeks on end. This series is about how do you go back to work on Monday morning? How do you re-engage your relationships in life and have greater levels of sanity, greater levels of simplicity, the way that God wants us to experience life? And so over the next four weeks, what we're going to do is give a new operating system, a new value system, a new perspective through which to view our existing life, our existing relationships and responsibilities. And we're going to discover throughout the course of this series that a lot of the battle 
around busyness is in our minds and it's in our value system. So what we're going to do is attack many of the beliefs or the myths that erroneously lead us to take faster-paced lives and to bear up under unnecessary stress. Each week, we'll cover one of these myths. The first week, this week, we're going to look at this belief that I can make everybody happy. Now, very few of us would say that we think we can make everybody happy, but a lot of us live our lives as though we believe that that's the truth. And we're going to talk about how to overcome that addiction to pleasing people. Next week, we're going to look at the myth that we believe oftentimes that we can get it all done, try to get everything in our works, everything in our families, everything with, with all of our lives, all of our responsibilities accomplished. And this erroneous belief oftentimes leads us to a place where we don't get the most important stuff done. And we're going to learn how do we prioritize our lives and live with greater peace as a result of it. The third week, we're going to look at the belief that I'll be happy when I get a little bit more. It's this discontentment oftentimes that drives us to buy things that we don't need with money we don't have to impress people that we don't even know. And that lack of contentment often has us entangled. We're going to talk about how to drop that weight and learn to live with contentment with what's in our hands right now. And that fourth and final week, we're going to look at this myth that says, I don't have time to rest. Sometimes we, we think we can't slow down, and even in our culture, it's a badge of honor to run life at a fast pace, and we don't embrace the rhythms of life that God gives to us to slow down, to put in place a cadence of rest. And that's where we're going throughout the course of this series. Now today, we're going to talk about the subject of pleasing people and how do we overcome that addiction. And I want to slow down and look at one verse from the Bible for just a few moments and let it sink into our hearts. This verse is from Galatians chapter 1, verse 10. Just look at it on the screens with me as I read it. It says, am I now trying to win the approval of men or women or anybody, people? Am I giving my pursuit in my life to the approval of what people think or of God? Or am I trying to please men? Listen to this very strong statement. If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a servant of Christ. It's a very, very significant statement. The writer of this one verse of the Bible is saying that you cannot simultaneously live for the applause of men and the applause of God. There is no way that you can do it. They are in contradiction to one another. And something happens in terms of simplicity when the focal point of our lives becomes pleasing God, when that is what we pursue above everything else. And for all of us, there have been moments where pleasing people and pleasing God have come into collision with one another. And through this message today, I want to look at that powerful point to reorient our perspective and our value system to put pleasing God above all things else, all other things, so that we can experience the kind of peace that he wants us to experience. Now, I know at South Bay, we have a lot of folks who come here who are from different religious backgrounds. You would not consider yourself a Christian, probably even had some friends that threatened you or bribed you with free lunch and money to come to church. Welcome. We're so glad that you're here. But what I, what I want to recognize is that for many of us who are, who are at that place or many who are at that place, this is an entirely different worldview. To think about living your life to please a God that maybe you don't even believe exists, I understand that that is a major shift. And what I want to say to you is the God that we're talking about is a God that knows you, that loves you, and when you pursue his will for your life, 
it leads to, from my experience and the experience of countless other people, it leads to greater levels of peace, of joy, of sanity. It leads to greater levels of contentment and fulfillment to the core of who we are. And so this adjustment is not about pursuing some cosmic killjoy that wants to take away all of the life and joy that you experience. It's a God that wants to, he's a God that wants to bless you to give his grace to your life. And if we will pursue him above all things, that's when we experience the kind of simplicity that brings greater joy to our lives. In addition to this, also want to recognize for all of us, regardless of where we are in our faith journey, that we've all done some pretty stupid things in terms of trying to please people. We've done weird things like bought clothes that we probably shouldn't have bought. We've dated people that we regretted dating. We've, we've smoked things that we shouldn't have smoked or maybe did drugs. Or we, we found ourselves at a place where we're trying to please people in our lives at times, taking jobs that we shouldn't have taken. And then as a result, there's bondage that develops in our lives. And many times it's twisting the truth. There are areas of our lives that are out of alignment around this pleasing people. If you look back over your life, I'm sure there are decisions that you regret that you pursued as a result of trying to get the applause of man. One of these happened for me when I was in college. There was a young gal who I found uh, at the campus that I thought was really pretty and I wanted her to date me. And I did not realize when I was trying to get her to spend time with me that she didn't want to spend time with me because she didn't like me. I just presumed that she would like me. I don't know why she wouldn't. But (laughs) so I, I... tried to get her to spend more time with me, and the only way I could was to go out for the cheerleading team. So I went out for the cheerleading team and wore spandex for about six months. I'm not going to show you a picture of it, but I did. I wore this really cheesy sweater, and it said Charleston Southern University Buccaneers on it. Well, unfortunately, right after I went out for the cheerleading team to try to impress this gal who was on the cheerleading team, within a period of a couple of weeks, she broke her ankles. And she was no longer on the cheerleading team. And I made a commitment, and I was stuck in spandex for the rest of my freshman year of college, all to impress a girl. It was dumb, but God is gracious, and he is merciful. And as a result, I fell in love with her roommate, got married to her roommate, and now we have three kids. (laughs) So I guess it kind of did work out. But we've all done some dumb things, right, trying to impress people. How do we overcome that addiction to the approval of man? That's what I want to talk to you about today. In fact, we're going to look at a story from the life of the guy that wrote that one verse right there in Galatians chapter 1, verse 10. This guy who wrote the book to the church in Galatia was a guy by the name of Paul. At the beginning of his life, he stood in opposition to the message of Jesus. In fact, if you go and you read the book of Acts, you'll see that at one point, Paul was stoning people. He was picking up stones, throwing at them to murder them for the sake of their faith in Jesus. He would travel from town to town. He'd get lists of names. He'd try to murder followers of Jesus. One day, on one of his trips to a town to get a list of people that he could murder, Jesus shows up. And after Jesus' resurrection, in this moment, the presence and power of Jesus comes and like a blinding light, knocks Paul over, and all of a sudden he realizes that his persecution is erroneous, that Jesus actually did exist, that he did rise from the dead, and he is transformed in an instant, literally instantaneously goes from opposing Christianity to becoming one of the greatest proponents of the message of Christianity in all of human history. 
And the book of Acts, the second half of the book of Acts, is all about Paul taking this message to the ends of the known world. And in Acts chapter 14, he's going through a region of the world called Galatia. Galatia is the region that would later become a place with multiple churches that Paul would write the book of Galatians to. But we see at the beginning of his journey through Galatia this insane story. He shows up into a town called Lyconia, or Lysonia, however you pronounce it, and here he shows up into the town, and there is this man who's not walked from birth. And Paul looks at him, and when he sees the man who's never walked before, he speaks to him and says, stand up. And the guy stands up, and all of a sudden, there's this large crowd of people surrounding Paul and a guy who's with him named Barnabas. And they start to celebrate. They start to cheer for what Paul has just done. And that's where we pick up the story in Acts chapter 14, beginning in verse number 11. I want us to notice the applause of people in this story. I want us to see how fickle people can be, how quickly they can change. In Acts chapter 14, beginning in verse number 11, it says, When the crowd saw what Paul had done, they shouted in the Lyconian language, The gods have come down to us in human form. Now, this is a Greek town. They believe in Greek mythology. And they believe in this moment that the gods have descended upon their community. And then... The story continues. It says, Barnabas, they called Zeus, and Paul, they called Hermes because he was the chief speaker. Now, imagine if you were Paul at this moment. It's got to feel a little bit weird, right, to be called Zeus or be called Hermes. All of a sudden, these people think just because you performed a great miracle that you're one of the gods who's come down, but they know that it's all about Jesus. It's not about them. The power that was given to heal was not their power. It was Jesus' power working through them, but they're in a moment of, of kind of contradictory, a con contradictory situation because, you know, it's got to feel good. I mean, I don't want people to call me Zeus or Hermes, but Big Papa might be cool from time to time, and here, the, here these guys are. It's like, okay... I got the approval. I got the crowd liking me. They love me. They're, they're, they're excited about what we're doing. And there is this sense in which if you're not careful in a moment like that, that could very quickly go to your head. It's like, yeah, I am. I'm pretty cool. I'm pretty awesome. I just healed this guy. And the crowds are celebrating Paul and Barnabas. But what happens next is Paul very, very profusely tries to convince the crowd this is not his power, this is Jesus' power. It's Jesus that just has performed this miracle, the celebration, the honor, the applause should not be coming to Barnabas or Paul, it should all be going to Jesus. But they didn't want anything to do with it. They wanted to keep celebrating. In fact, it says that the priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city, brought bulls and wreaths to the city gates because he and the crowd wanted to offer sacrifices to them. So they're literally trying to sacrifice animals like they would to their gods. They're bringing wreaths to crown them as gods who've come down from the heavens. It's nothing they can do will stop the crowd from celebrating to them. So finally, in verse number 18, it says, even with these words, they had difficulty keeping the crowd from sacrificing to them. So here in this moment, they are being perceived as great gods. You would expect that the story is going to continue in this direction. With Paul saying, stop celebrating me, stop sacrificing, they're still not stopping. What is going to have to happen for them to stop? I mean, they are so 
fixed on the fact that these guys are not ordinary men. Maybe they are the gods that have come down. But all of a sudden, something shifts. Something changes in the story. In verse number 19, it says, Then some Jews came from Antioch in Iconium and won the crowd over. They stoned Paul. It doesn't say that Paul got stoned. It says they stoned Paul and dragged him outside of the city. It just said that you were worshiping them as gods, and now all of a sudden you're going to pick up stones to, to try to murder them? And in an instant, because of the influence of the Jewish people, they changed their opinion that once they were gods, now they need to be destroyed. And they dragged Paul outside of the city thinking he was dead. So now all of a sudden, he's gone from being celebrated with the applause now to the hatred for men. Sometimes I feel like that as a pastor. It's like, you know, that that sermon was awesome. It was incredible. We loved it, but we didn't like the comment you made about cats. And cats are awesome. God loves cats. You know, I mean, it's amazing how fickle crowds can be, how easily opinions can be swayed. And if I'm Paul... In one moment, I'm loving the celebration, and in the next moment, I'm ready to get up, give up. I'm ready to throw in the towel. But Paul, who is a man just like me, just like you and I, is entirely different. He's not swayed by the crowds. In fact, watch what happens next. He's laying there as good as dead, but after the disciples had gathered around him, he got up and he went back into the city, the same city that he had just come from. The same city that he had just been stoned in, he gets up and it says, the next day he and Barnabas left for Derby. They preached the good news in that city and they won a large number of disciples, not swayed by the applause nor the hatred of men. Here is a man who is a phenomenal example of the one statement that he makes, that you cannot simultaneously live for both the applause of men and of God. And when there is a cadence of our lives that is set around pleasing God, something shifts in terms of freedom. And there is a simplicity that comes to life if we can reorient our perspective and our value system. And I want to extract from this story three key lessons that we can apply to our lives that will allow us to get off the needle of people pleasing. And the first point that I'd like to make is this, that there are times in our lives when pleasing God means that we will upset and disappoint people. For Paul and Barnabas, they had this conviction that Jesus had conquered a grave and offered hope to all of humanity, and they were to be proponents of that message to the ends of the earth, from town to town. And they were aiming to please God, to get that message out to as many people as possible. And for them in this instance, obeying God meant that they would receive opposition from people. Imagine if they could not receive opposition from people. There were so many instances along the journey of their lives that they would have given up. But their willingness to persist in the face of opposition came because they had prioritized pleasing God. And there are times in our lives when difficult decisions, difficult conversations, the choices that we make will result in the disapproval and the disappointment of people around us. Sometimes even people that are closest to us. And there has to be a willingness in our lives to disappoint people in order to please God. One of my good friends, by the, a guy by the name of Brad, we went to high school together and we both got married about the same time. 
he took a job at a bank. I went to grad school. We stayed in touch, and I would hear from him what it was like to work in the corporate world while I was still enjoying school. And on one particular occasion, he informed me that he stepped into this bank, and there was all this pressure to stay late at work. Have you ever felt like that before? Everybody's watching you. They're, they're watching when you leave, and you, you get some, some notches on your belt if you stay a little bit later. And all of his coworkers would stay at the office till 7 or 8 o'clock at night, and then they would go home to be with their families. Well, their marriages and their personal lives were a total mess because of this habit that they had formed. And Brad thought to himself, I'm newly married. There are things that newly married people like to do. I want to get home to be with my wife. I want to enjoy the first year of my marriage, and I want to have a healthy marriage. And so I want to make sure that I'm leaving the office at the right time. But all of a sudden, he's doing this, and everybody around him who's staying till 7 o'clock or 8 o'clock at night are frowning on his choice. So he went to his boss. He sat down with his boss, and he said, hey, listen, I just want to let you know I'm leaving at 530. I'm going to walk out the door when the bank closes. Now, if at the end of a few weeks or a few months, if you're not pleased with my results, you let me know and we can make some adjustments. But I'm not going to stay till seven or eight o'clock at night like the rest of my coworkers who waste three hours of their day in the middle of the afternoon hanging out around the coffee pot. I'm going to work all day and I'm going to leave when the day's over. And in that moment, there was like this, this instant response, like maybe his boss is going to be disappointed. He's going to fire him. What's going to happen? There's this risk. So over the next Two to three months, he worked all day when he was at work. No checking Facebook, no, no Instagram and photos. I mean, none of that. He's at work, he's going to work, and he would leave when the day was over. At the end of it, he got promoted, and he became the vice president of that bank because of drawing boundaries. And it's amazing how oftentimes that leads to greater levels of authority and leadership in our lives. Now, somebody is thinking to themselves right now, you don't know my boss. If I do that, I'm fired. And there's somebody else waiting to take my job. And that may be the case. It may be a great risk for you to draw boundaries and to no longer live for the approval of man. It may even be the kind of risk that Paul endured, that he knew he could lose his life for the sake of seeking the pursuit of what God wanted for him and for those around him. But the pain of trying to please people is far greater than the pain that comes from obedience and seeking the approval and the pleasure of God. And the entanglement that so many of our lives get in as a result of trying to get the approval of man is such a long road of exhaustion. It's such a road that is destructive to us. In fact, Proverbs chapter 29, verse number 25 explains it like this. It says, the fear of man will prove to be a snare. You guys know what a snare is? A snare is a device or an entrapment used to catch an animal. In fact, it probably looks a little bit like this right here. Now, let me explain to you what happens with a snare. I wanted to have a bald eagle in here, but the production crew would not allow me to. If you take a snare, what you do is at the back of the entrapment, you put some kind of piece of meat. And usually this would be in a canopy of, of trees or s out in the wilderness where it's not so evident with red rope. But a lot of times there are big pieces of rope and there's a piece of meat. And in the entrapment, there is at the back the piece of meat. And when the animal flies in or climbs in, all of a sudden the door shuts and there they are stuck. They're trapped pursuing what was appeasing to the eye on the front end. But on the back end, it becomes death. To that animal. And Proverbs says that the fear of man is like a snare. It's like death 
that traps us in. And some of us feel trapped today because we are pursuing the approval of man. And what God is wanting to say to you today is you have to be willing from time to time to disappoint people in order to live the life that God has created you to live. So I wonder what decision have you been avoiding out of the fear of what people will think of you? Is there a job that you've been avoiding or a change or a shift or a conversation that is yet to be had because of the fear of man? And God wants to give you the courage today to say with confidence, I can pursue what it is that God wants me to. And the fear of pleasing people is far greater than the fear of the consequences or the, the consequences that might come as a result. And that leads us to point number two, which is this. The more confident you become in God's voice, the less distracted you will be with people noise. The more confident you are in God's voice, the less you'll be distracted with people noise. And I love how for Paul in this story, the applause and the disapproval of man is just noise. It does not sway his resolve to obey and do what it is that God is asking him to do. And sometimes the distraction of what people think of us becomes so loud that we can't even hear our own thoughts. And in order to overcome that, what we have to pursue is what it is that God wants for our lives. And when we understand and when we know, when we become confident in what it is that God wants, it allows the rest of those voices to disseminate and allows us to continue to grow in the direction and go in the direction that God wants for us. When Stacy and I got married 12 years ago, we struggled financially the first few years of our marriage. We went to grad school, and we were convinced that we should not take out another student loan to get through grad school. And all the way throughout our grad school experience, we did not want to wreck up more debt. So we had to make a couple of choices that were difficult choices. One was that we had to drive some old cars. And I would have a lot of conversations with parents, with people who were way more mature than us. And it would always go something like this. You know, that car that Stacy's driving, she could break down on the side of the road. And when she breaks down on the side of the road, you never know who's going to be out there. They could come up. They could take her. They could kidnap her. They could throw her in the trunk. They could hurt her. I'm just kidding. They never said that. You guys are like, did they really say that? No. But they would say things like, you know, she could break down on the side of the road in that, that old rusty red car you have there, or, or it could really go bad for you. You need to get a nicer, newer car. Stacy and I had become convinced through going through a class called Dave Ramsey's Financial Peace that we did not want to put a car on credit and we did not want to lease a car. We wanted to pay for cars with cash, but it took us longer than we thought it would. In fact, it took us 10 full years of marriage to have cars that were nicer cars. And I was just resilient. We were both convinced that this was the right thing. And every time we'd have that conversation, I had heard or sensed God's leadership in my life over that one choice. And I could hear the voices and they would go, you need to get a nicer car. And it was almost like Charlie Brown. You remember Charlie Brown? Like, wah, 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 because I was convinced that this was the right choice. And there is something that happens for so many of us that we are so insecure about the right direction for our lives. So we find ourselves at the mercy of what everybody thinks we should do. And eventually it becomes an entrapment for us that robs our joy. It takes away our peace. And what God is wanting for us today is to shift the way that we think 
to reset our decision-making process around what it is that God wants for our lives. Could you imagine the freedom that you'd experience if you just made that one shift? If you would change when you're taking a job instead of saying, what job is going to pay me more money? What job am I going to rise in my career and climb the corporate ladder in faster? If we said, what does God want? What is God's will for my life with this one decision? With dating, with the friends that we choose at our place of school? If we would reorient our hearts and minds around God's will, it changes. It brings tremendous levels of freedom. Now, I understand this is a very complicated process to pursue God's will. That's why we're going to do an entire series on it in the month of May about how do you seek God's will. But if you would make the shift when we're making decisions to seek God's approval, to seek his decision-making or his decision for our lives, we'd pray more, we would read the Bible more, we'd get counsel from godly people more, and in the process there would be freedom because we would not be in the bondage of everybody else's opinion. So with that decision that you've been feeling the weight on, that you've been seeking somebody else's approval today, I want with God's grace and his help to liberate you, to help you understand with his love and with his compassion, you can pursue his will for your life. And there is tremendous freedom as that confidence grows in our lives. So point number one is this. It's that there are times in life when pleasing God means we'll disappoint people. Point number two is the more confident you become in God's voice, the less you'll be distracted with people noise. And then thirdly, the last point we want to camp on for a few moments is you cannot please everyone, but you can please God. You cannot possibly please anybody. Anybody ever tried that before? Just make everybody happy, your spouse, your kids, your boss, your friends. It's, it's really exhausting. And a part of our challenge, even in our social media-driven culture, that we judge ourselves based upon the approval of man. Did I get enough likes on that picture I threw up on Instagram? Did I, did I get enough people commenting when I made that comment on Facebook? Do they like it? Do they, do they retweet it? Do they, is there the approval there? And we try to make people happy, and then we make decisions through that lens, and we find ourselves exhausted, worn out, frustrated with our lives. Even for some Bay Area folks with the culture that you grew up in, long after graduating from high school and college, there's still that pressure from parents, oftentimes that's put on us for the jobs that we choose, for the way that we structure our families, for the way that we parent our children, for who our spouse is going to be. And when you grow up, you grow up, and God wants to free you to pursue His voice, His leadership in your lives. And to honor your parents doesn't mean that you're at the mercy of every decision that they want for you. What's most important is what God wants for you. Now, if you're still a teenager and you're at home, there's a sense in which you're still under that authority of your parents. But over the course of our lives, to obey God, to listen to His voice as the cadence is the most important voice in our lives when we understand that we cannot possibly please everyone. We're going to have to disappoint some people. It allows us to find that freedom, that joy, and that peace that comes around the one voice of approval that we need. And I think back over my journey, some of the shifts, some of the liberating moments in my life. I remember very specifically when I was in middle school having this moment that changed everything for me. I was sitting on a bus in Livonia, Michigan. I was going to Frost Middle School, and all the kids around me, they had these names that they call me, and I've said them in messages before. If you'd like the names, you can go listen to previous messages. But I, I remember specifically, there's this one day, and I'm, 
I'm being pounded with all these names, and my parents are walking through a divorce. I'm feeling insecure. I'm not really liking the way I look at this point. I'm not liking the fact that, you know, there's more acne on my face than there is pepperoni on a pizza. I mean, it was just, it was really bad. And as I'm sitting there, I sense this internal impression from God. I've never had an experience where I heard an audible voice from God, but there are a few times in my life where there was an impression so clear in my heart that I could not deny that God was trying to communicate with me. And in that moment, I sensed God in the midst of all of these voices around me, God saying, Andy, I love you. I'm proud to call you my son. And the reason that all these kids are making fun of you is not because of you. It's not because of the size of your body. It's not because of the stuff on your face. It's because of them. It's because of their insecurity. And I'm going to carry you through this situation. And one day you'll look back on this situation. And it'll be so far in the rearview mirror of your life. I love you. I'm proud of you. I'm for you. And that voice changed everything for me. That simple experience of a God who loves me, who's on my side, I think has carried me through so much of my life. And you know, you may have never had an experience where somebody stood over you and told you that they were proud of you or they were pleased with you or that they liked the person that you were becoming. But maybe today can be that moment for you. I remember in Matthew chapter 3, verse 13 through 17, Jesus is about to begin his public ministry and right before he's about to launch into his ministry, before any healings, before any miracles, before any of the feeding of thousands of people with a few loaves of bread and fish, Jesus goes to a place where a guy by the name of John the Baptist is baptizing people. And he asks John the Baptist to baptize him. And John the Baptist is like, no, 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 you're Jesus. You don't need to be baptized by me. And Jesus says, no, I'm going to make this choice. And in that moment, Jesus would go down into the water and he would come up out of the water. And at that moment, the scripture says that the spirit of God would descend upon him like a dove and there would be a voice from heaven. Jesus' heavenly father would say, this is my son. I love him and with him I am well pleased. Before Jesus did any of his ministry, there was a voice that declared the pleasure of the heavenly father over him. See, so often our view of God is skewed. We think that we have to work for God's approval. But the whole message of Jesus is that you don't have to strive, you don't have to earn. In fact, God would do something on your behalf that you could never do for yourself. Jesus would take the sins of the world upon a cross, he would die, and then he would conquer the grave, proving that he's God. And now he would stand with an invitation for you and I that we can have relationship with God, not based upon what we can do, but based upon what he's done. And now scripture says that when we put our trust in Jesus, when we choose to follow him, the heavenly father, when he looks at us, no longer does he see our sin, no longer does he see our shame, no longer does he see our brokenness or our past. What he sees is his son who died on our behalf on a cross and conquered the grave. He sees forgiven, the slate is wiped clean, and there is a stamp of approval that God puts upon us before we do anything to earn his favor before we do anything to earn his approval and there is a radical difference in a person's life when we learn to live from approval instead of for approval 
to live from the pleasure of God instead of for the pleasure of God. And today what God is wanting to say to you is that he loves you. Not only does he love you, but he likes you. He made you the way you are. He chose your hair color, your DNA. Before you ever came into this world, God chose you so that his hand could be upon you. And it's that stamp of approval that gives the confidence, the power, the strength to live in the face of opposition, to overcome the need for the approval of man. God wants to say to you today, will you trust him? Will you put your hope in him? And will you let his voice of approval come over you to receive the voice of the heavenly father that says, this is my son, this is my daughter, this is my child whom I love and with whom I am well pleased. And let that voice be the voice that drives our lives forward to let that voice be the voice that leads and guides our decision-making process. And there's a simplicity, there's a clarity that comes over our lives as we hear that voice. I want to invite you to close your eyes and bow your heads for just a few moments as we finish up our message together. I want to ask you just to put what's in your hands out, to take a deep breath, and to let that voice of God's approval flood your soul today the deep places of your heart to slow down, to breathe, to hear the voice of your heavenly father that says, I love you, I'm for you, I'm on your side. You have to hear my voice today to say, stop striving. Just let me, let me love you and let me propel your life forward. Maybe today you've never received the gift of salvation that comes by putting your trust in Jesus. Today can be that day that you choose to trust in him, his death on a cross and his resurrection for the first time to receive his grace into your life. You just might say a prayer, Jesus, I need you. Please forgive me for my past. Choose to follow you in this moment and he'll enter in. Others of us today, it's needing to let God's voice of approval drive our decision-making process and to seek his pleasure to live from his approval, to live from his grace that has been placed upon our lives. Jesus, thank you today that you give us the ability to slow down and to embrace the love that you've given to us. I pray now that you'd help us to simplify our lives around your voice and to let that voice be what leads and guides our decisions and to experience the peace that comes as a result. I pray all these things in Jesus' name.